Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It is really good to be here with you uh, this morning just to gather for worship. Um, a, a privilege, as always, to open God's word. Um, and especially, I was just thinking, man, after such strange seasons of online church and audio podcasts and all this stuff, I don't think I'll take it for granted just that so we can gather and we can gather and worship uh, together. There were some men to worship the Lord uh, in the beauty of holiness. And I'll say that over the last week, I have been trying to pay attention. Um, like many, uh, things aren't going quite the way I had hoped or planned earlier this summer. Um, and I think I'm slowly getting over my frustration with that and starting to pay attention. What's God up to? What is the Lord doing in my life? What, what can I learn in this tricky season? Maybe you're asking that. What's he doing in your life? And what's he doing in the life of this church and in our, our, our journey and mission together? And I've been helped by a few just really basic, intentional things. I've been kind of back to basics this week. Um, and I wonder if some things will help you as well. Uh, first, I've just been spending time outside, <laughs> a lot of time outside, um, in nature, in God's creation. Um, I've spent time hiking around the trails here at the Botanical Garden this week. I have spent time sweating outside coffee shops and dodging rainstorms and all of this. And it's, it's actually been helpful uh, for me this week. Um, and there's a reason that God's good and beautiful creation actually can feed our souls and, and keep us grounded in the midst of difficult times. We'll talk about that uh, a little more um, as we look at the psalm together. Uh, second, I've actually been spending time in the psalms, um, this prayer book of God's people. And then third, I've actually been spending a lot of time with, with folks, um, I, I was just thinking this, this week, I've made a lot of personal connections. Um, I, I went to someone's home and, and brought them communion. We had a young family who wanted us to come over for a house blessing. We came and we prayed with them and, and got to know them. Um, I've had coffee with a lot of folks. Uh, and some of that was planned and some of those were these um, holy interruptions um, I sat down in a coffee shop on Friday at about 9 a.m. to work on my sermon. And I think at least four unexpected conversations later at about four o'clock, <laughs> I was finally working. And I said, you know what? I don't know how the sermon will be this week, but I think I've done the work that God has given me to do. Um, talking with people, getting to know them, um, spending time with folks. Um, I, I've spent time with some colleagues, fellow pastors in town. Hey, how are you doing? How's your church doing? Um, spent time with our diocese uh, yesterday, a whole administrative day of, of planning. Um, and then actually last night, some like really fun times feasting outside. Um, a bunch of us enjoying time with one another. Um, we even got to meet three donkeys. You're welcome. It was amazing. Just, just normal, wonderful, intentional, life-giving things. Um, and so I've been trying to pay attention. Uh, trying to pay attention. Over the last few weeks, we've been in John 6 quite a bit, talking about Jesus, the bread of heaven, the one who comes to us like this manna that God sent in the wilderness. And I was just reminded by a friend 
uh, that that manna God sent to his people, it came each day and only enough for that day. So they would wake up, they would eat what the Lord had provided. If they tried to like put it in, in Tupperware or whatever, like it didn't work. It didn't last. There wasn't enough. You had to get the fresh provision from the Lord the very next day. And I would just encourage in this season um, that's pretty tricky, hey, can you, can you be content with just what the Lord has for you today? This day, what's, what's that, that, that word, not that will overwhelm you or that will even last forever, but just that word that will sustain you uh, for today. And so that's what I want to do. I think we can actually do that together through coming to Psalm 147 um, as a word for us that will encourage us and ground us and give us what we need for today, uh, this invitation and reminder uh, to worship. So you've got a, a copy there in the bulletin. Um, this is actually the version from the Book of Common Prayer. It's what I'm going to be using today. Um, and we'll look at Psalm 147, this invitation to worship the Lord. Uh, Psalms, as I mentioned, is usually known as the prayer book of the Bible. There are these songs and prayers and hymns. And, and the reason they're significant is they're not just meant to be read or heard. They're supposed to be used, uh, to be said, to be sung, to be declared uh, to one another. Uh, these Psalms, they, they give us words and they give us voice. They give shape to our relationship with our God. Um, and they do that for us individually and as a group. Um, as a community of faith. And Psalm 147 begins very simply with an invitation, uh, a command to praise the Lord. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord, for it is a good thing to sing praises unto our God indeed. A joyful and pleasant thing it is to be thankful. Um, and that command, that invitation comes over and over. Um, it punctuates the whole thing. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, again, the first thing is we have is that it's good to praise the Lord, where we're reminded it's a, it's a good thing. It brings joy to our souls to praise God and to join with God's people in praising Him. It is right to give Him thanks and praise, and we benefit from it. It's an intentional thing we can do. Um, later, down in verse 7, there are some directions about how we should praise the Lord. Oh, sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises with the harp unto our God. I don't know if, it, if harp is guitar in Hebrew, but you get the point. Use your voice. Use instruments. Use anything you can. Uh, if you have to wear a mask, that's okay. You're called to sing praise to God for who he is and what he's done. Again, later in verse 12, the psalmist reminds us of who should praise God. He says, praise the Lord, uh, O Jerusalem. In other words, the, the inhabitants of the city. God's covenant people. Uh, verse 12, praise your God, O Zion. Some of you know that I have an English degree and I have a special fondness for grammar. Just that, man, that possessive pronoun, your God. We're just reminded that, that we are bound to the Lord, that he is bound to us. Another place in the Psalms, it says, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And I think the reason this struck me as significant this week um, is it's probably worth reflecting on, uh, do we feel like we want to worship? Like, do we feel like we're called to come together to praise the Lord, especially in the midst of, of difficult seasons and uncertainty and, and weird things we have to do when we come? 
Um, and I think as the people of God, there, there are two traps we can fall into. Actually, right now, kind of this fall, um, related to the invitation to worship. And the first is that I think some of us will uh, be tempted to indulge worship or, or coming together as God's people um, purely as an escape. Life is so weird right now that we say, maybe we can just get away for a little bit. Um, the mass probably changed that. But, you know, we, we can just escape reality. Uh, we, we can close our eyes to the reality of our situation, our difficulties, just you know, feel the warm uh, fuzzies, that, which are good, of singing to God. Um, there's something just nice about singing together, isn't there? It brings us joy. Uh, Mark Galley um, used to head up Christianity Today. Uh, Mark Galley also, um, if you know Father Bill Stanford, he was Bill's landlord when Bill was a student at Wheaton College. Um, Mark Galley. And, and Mark's kind of a curmudgeonly guy. And he once said this, I wonder sometimes whether our churches, uh, living as we do in American death-denying culture, relentlessly smiling through our praise choruses, are inadvertently helping people not as much to live in hope as in denial. This danger of worship as escape. And I think that's, there can be that. Um, but I think there's an equal opposite danger of letting our own difficulties, um, our own suffering, our, our own confusions uh, prevent us from worship, keep us from worship. Um, there's a book called Nothing to Be Afraid Of. It's by a British writer, Julian Barnes. He's an agnostic. And it begins this uh, book with this haunting line, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, uh, but I miss him. He wrote later on, I was never baptized, never sent to Sunday school. I've never been to a normal church service in my life. And yet he feels this longing that he misses God. His lack of faith keeps him from the Lord. And, and my hunch is that even those of us who have faith, we can allow things like difficulty and circumstances to, dic to dictate whether we feel like praising God or not. Um, this past week on Twitter, uh, which can be a scary place, I get that, um, Anglican priest and scholar Esau Macaulay, some of y'all know Esau, we're big fans of Esau here, um, he wrote, sometimes you have to worship in the presence of your doubts and disappointments to remind them who reigns. And so I've been wrestling with some of this this week, just going, hey, what's this middle way between uh, not worship as escape and, and not, a, not being prevented from worship because things are hard, but actually worshiping God right in the middle of things that are difficult. Finding God to be exactly what we need, enough bread and manna uh, for today. And again, I, I don't think the psalm knows our specific hardships and difficulties. It's, it's not like a psalm written in time of plague or you know, pestilence kind of a thing. Um, but he understands brokenheartedness and disappointment. Look at verse 3. He heals those who are broken in heart and binds up their wounds. Just reminded that in the midst of our doubts and difficulties, God is the one who can heal. And I would even be bold enough to say that accepting this invitation to worship him is that first step where he meets us and we begin to feel peace and healing 
and joy and contentment, even if our, our, our brokenhearted wounds are oozing and fresh. The Lord can meet us in the midst of that. It's a first step. Uh, further, look at verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers together the outcasts of Israel. Um, there's a story there that's it's contained in the scriptures, but it's of utter destruction. Like the reason Jerusalem needs to get built up is because it was utterly destroyed uh, by these, these other nations who had come in. Um, the people of God, the Jews, were taken away into exile. They're, they're scattered. I mean, can you imagine that? If like a foreign nation came and like destroyed everything and took people away? I mean, we just like, we think we, think we know things are like, we have no idea what that would be like. That's, that's the kind of calamity that this nation has endured. They're, they're demoralized. Things have been destroyed. They've been scattered. And he says, praise the Lord. Again, not just happy clappy or pretending things aren't wrong. It's like we know things are wrong. And the only one we can turn to is the only one who can fix it. The Lord our God. Again, he doesn't deny the suffering that has occurred he calls God's people to praise. He roots this call in an interesting place. All of this description of God's good creations. That's what I, I want to talk about. This reminder that what, what's he doing? I mean, just again, your city has been destroyed. You've been taken hundreds of miles to other countries. And the psalmist says, praise the Lord because of snow. Like that's what the psalm says. Praise the Lord because of snow and the stars and the one who created the stars and numbers them. Again, verses four through five, he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by their names. Great is our Lord. Great is his power. Indeed, his wisdom is infinite. He's talking about natural processes, the seasons, uh, provision of food, even for animals. Again, the sending of snow. It's an odd thing. We don't have lots of sermons on snow in Georgia, right? Especially the pleasantness. I don't know. Is anyone here from up north? Anyone like, like ice fishing or hockey or anything? I don't, I don't get it. I don't know these things. I don't know snow is a good thing. I only know snow as everything shuts down and you can get in a wreck. <laughs> That's snow. But what's going on? Why, why does the psalmist point out all these amazing acts of creation and how does that relate to their destruction and heartbrokenness? Well, here's the interesting thing. This is what struck me uh, by this passage this week. Um, it's, it's a very curious thing, is that there's, a, there's an instinct in the scriptures when God's people are suffering uh, to remind them that God is the great creator. The one who created the world at the beginning is capable of acting with creative power in their lives now. So in other words, it's not saying, hey, I know you think your problems matter. They don't. Look at the stars. I mean, that, that's, I think, how some of us can hear that, right? Like, it's minimizing the actual issue. Instead, no, this is, a, this is creation. Think about Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. 
See, the idea in the scriptures is that you have darkness and you have chaos. And God, the creator, is the only one who can make sense of it. The only one who can work an act of creation. And so what the psalmist is saying is, people, you are in this place of darkness and chaos. Remember the one who created all things. Not to say your problems don't matter, but to say this is the only one who can actually do anything with this darkness and chaos you experience. In other words, it's a, it's a cry for new creation. For the one who, who made all things uh, perfectly and beautifully to come and intervene now and make things right and good and true again. That, that's the logic of the psalm. That's why they're talking about these acts of creation. And again, that's why for me, at least, it's been really helpful to get out and hike and, and just go, oh yeah, this is who God is. Not in the sense of my stuff doesn't matter, but man, if he can do this, um, there's not a problem too big for the Lord. And yes, I realize, okay, God may be doing something. I just don't understand. That's okay. <laughs> but he's the one who can work. I think praising God in the midst of hardship puts things in context. We, we need the Lord to act. When we get to a place where we're, we're no longer trusting our own strength and our own wisdom, we turn to the Lord. We depend on him. That we approach him with meekness and humility and faith. Look at verse 6. The Lord lifts up the meek and brings the ungodly down to the ground. Verses 10 and 11. He has no pleasure in the strength of a horse. Neither does he delight in any man's strength. But the Lord's delight is in those who fear him and put their trust in his mercy. Um, and actually, I see someone here who I know loves horses. The Lord is not against horses, of course. He's against trusting in our own resources, trusting in our own strength. And so when we're at places in our life where we're at the end of our resources and our solutions, God says, you're ready to turn to me. Um, that's what at least I've been living through this week. I don't know if that, if that hits you where you live as well. Um, and that juxta juxtaposition is incredible, that the God who created all things does care about you and me about the small things and the big things. Alan Ross is an Old Testament scholar. He says, what pleases the Lord is faith, not self-sufficiency. Those who fear the Lord and put their hope in his loyal love are faithful members of the covenant. Uh, they may use their strength. Horses aren't bad, for example, but they must not trust in it. And so we're invited um, to worship, to be grateful at all times, even hard times. Again, just this week, I've been with people going through major medical issues. Uh, folks who are scared. Folks who are worried. Folks who are asking ultimate questions um, that, that, that do have answers. Um, I, I've been with folks who, um, man, they're, they're apathetic. They, they feel stuck spiritually. They're like, I'm in a funk. I, I don't know how to get out of it on my own. And I love that they're being honest about that. And they're asking those questions. Um, I've talked with folks who, who are lonely this week, um, especially in Athens. So, some folks who have just watched friends move away one by one by one. Um, some of those friends le losing their faith one at a time. That's hard. That's difficult. Uh, I mentioned all those conversations on Friday. 
Um, most of them centered around frustration. People are so frustrated. They're, they're exasperated with, with friends and coworkers and family members and all these things that are actually just maybe approaching things differently than they are right now of how we walk through these days. Um, at times, it feels like people are living in just different worlds, like different realities. Like there's a different information uptake that's going on, and it's disorienting. Um, and I think it's especially disorienting, and that's where you see the pain, is, is you have people that are just, you know, there's, there's these new and just widening points of disagreement with people who they love and value and respect. And they're like, well, how does this work? Like, how do we stay in relationship? How do we, like, go have coffee <laughs> when, we're, when we're, we can't figure this out? It's a hard season. But we're called to praise. We're reminded that the Lord is praiseworthy. We're given the invitation, the privilege to come and worship, um, to give God the honor due his name. The psalmist says, you'll even receive benefit from it. It'll be good for you to come and worship. As we close, I want to share a few things with you. First, um, just a definition of worship, just to ground us um, as we are here gathered. Um, I do want to share a final uh, story, and then I want to pray for us this morning. Uh, So first, a definition of worship. This is as good a definition as I think I've seen. Uh, This is uh, William Temple, who is the uh, Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, about mid-20th century. It says, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of his will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration pretty good. Now, again, that's the ivory tower of an archbishop. (laughs) Here's what it looked for someone else. Um, Some of you probably know the the writer, author, researcher, Brene Brown. Uh, Brene Brown, um, very helpful writer, but she tells the story of a time in her life where she essentially had a breakdown. Um, She hit that that midlife wall and, and things came apart. Uh, coming out the other side, she looked back at it, and she says, you know what, I went back to church. And she says, I went back to church for all the wrong reasons. So I, I went because, you know, life was hard, and it hurt, and all the midlife crisis books said, go back to church. <laughs> Give it a try. What can it hurt? And she says, so I went back, uh, thinking that church and worship and God's people uh, would be like an epidural. That it would just take the pain away, take the sting away. And she says she discovered that, that faith and church, they don't work like an epidural. Doesn't work like that. She says that it's more like a midwife who just stood next to, to her and said, push, it's, it's supposed to hurt but they encourage and they bring you through. Um, none of this makes pain go away. It doesn't make everything comfortable and easy, but it puts things in context. It helps us persevere. 
It points us in the direction of the only one who can bring peace and healing and hope in the midst of this. And so we come and we gather and we worship and we say, Lord, send your peace that passes all understanding, even now, even with all that's going on. Let's pray. This is a prayer for trustfulness in times of worry and anxiety. Most loving Father, you will us to give thanks for all things, to dread nothing but the loss of you, and to cast out all our care on the one who cares for us. Preserve us, we pray, from faithless fears and worldly anxieties. And grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal and which you have manifested unto us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.